0: So Jenny volunteered on this beautiful South Pacific Island for six months and then went back to her everyday life in Australia. She loved cycling to work in the morning and loved cycling home at night, doing that job in the middle? Not so much. So she decided to only do the part she liked, boxed up her bike, and took off for New Zealand. She didn't tell her mom until after she'd landed. Next, she cycled the Eurovelo, and then she took on hula hooping. For real. Jenny knows how to bring the joy. I love this woman. Welcome to Bad Choice Tuesday with Andrea Howell. I'm talking with my friends about the questionable choices we make. Sometimes unconventional, sometimes unavoidable, sometimes flat out bad. And sometimes Bad Choice Tuesday happens on a Thursday night we're talking about friendship, unconditional love, and questionable choices. Welcome to Bad Choice Tuesday.
1: Nobody can bother you while you're hula hooping. Like, you can't return an email. No one can even, like, touch you because there's like a giant circle going around you. <laughs> and I thought, is this just me? Like, am I just some hippie that likes hula hooping? But then <laughs> anybody I've shown how to hula hoop has done the exact same thing. Like, their face is like, it clicks. You're, like oh and like I have to share the photos with you but like some of the tv anchors that I um saw when I was in Chicago they're so buttoned up like they are pristine not a single hair is out of place and they're just you know very very like measured in the way that they speak and when you see them throw their arms up in the air it's like a moment where like you crack that like adult seriousness shell and I feel like we don't do that enough because we're meant to be serious, we're meant to be professional, we're meant to be all these things, but at like on the inside, we're just like kids that grew up. But we just cast away so much of like the fun, novelty, like in our mind, pointless things. But they're the things that you know, are more joyful than you know going to work and eating fiber and paying taxes.
0: <laughs> That's such a funny. The difference between the two, like you describe it first almost like as a force field that you can put up mm. around yourself. and then you talk about it as this sort of breaking out
1: of mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. so closed in, yeah, because if you are really rigid, it doesn't work. It's not fun. And then you very quickly get that feedback that like it's uncomfortable. The hula hoop won't spin right. It's just like bashing into you. But when you let loose, you sort of, go with it you get that sort of smooth motion and so when people ask like with the like 100 hour hula hooping world record like was it painful I was like well yeah <laughs> parts of it were but for the majority of it in that flow sort of like state it's just moving with it you're not making conscious decisions it's just going with it and it's such a welcome break from planning so vigorously everyday life and all that other stuff that is just so demanding and so taxing that sometimes you're just not in the moment because you're thinking like 10 steps ahead or like trying to think about what somebody else wants or what somebody else is feeling. And I think particularly as women, we fall into that trap where we're trying to like make sure that everything's okay and everyone else is okay. And then we forget that we exist.
0: Do people question why you do it or how you started it or why (laughs) in the world you decided to do it for a hundred hours straight? (laughs) To me, that's where I you go, bad choice Tuesday. Like, <laughs> this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Why in the world? I
1: did do it on a little Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> was it really on a Tuesday? Yeah, it was Tuesday to Saturday. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> multi-day. That's perfect. Oh my gosh, I love that. I didn't even know you started it on a Tuesday. Totally, like, fuck off. Bad choice Tuesday. Oh my gosh. Okay,
1: that's really funny. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, I think when initially people just like if they don't think about it too hard. They're like, oh, that's weird. But then when they sit down and they think about a hundred hours is four days and four hours, and like through the course of that time, like what that actually means, then you get the questions like, but wait a minute, <laughs> how did how did you sleep? How did you use the bathroom? What did you eat? <laughs> and then that whole thing comes in, and I think it kind of comes along with either people that have done endurance things, like people that do marathons, or Cause I think it's definitely like the sporting aspect of it when you think of like the physicality of it, and then I think from there that it kind of goes into this like, well, I've done something that took a long time, but like, what's that thing that pushes you one more and one more? Like people talk about running and adding an extra mile or adding extra two miles. How do you go and add a hundred hours? Like where does that come from? And I think it's like a foreign concept, but I think we all experience it in smaller points in our lives but we just don't put it all together. And so it seems impossible. But when you think about your own lives and the instances where you've had to go one more or two more or 10 more, like I don't even have kids. The idea of people having kids and going through all of that for like years and years at a time, like how do people be sleep deprived for that long? (laughs) Like ask a parent, like how they do that. And I'm like, I don't know how that works either. That's Mm -hmm. like mind blowing to me. You first told me that you found
0: hula hooping through a museum event that was about finding joy. Mm-hmm. So how did you, mm-hmm. can you tell me about that event? And then how did you go from that to deciding that it was a good idea to try and do it for a hundred hours? <laughs> like what even, what even would make because I kind of I'm into this incremental excitement, right? I pick up my hula hoop, I do it for 30 seconds or until it falls to the ground, whatever comes first. And that sort of changes my mood. It puts me in a different mental space. It would never in a hundred million years occur to me to do it for a hundred hours, probably even in a hundred million
1: years. (laughs) Give it some time, it'll happen. So yeah, so it was at a point in my life where I think you have to face some sort of disappointment that like forces you to, you know, do something differently. So I was doing this volunteer assignment in Tonga, which is this beautiful tropical island. And I came back and it was about to be winter and back to a government job. And it was just really grey. And so my friend invited me to this night at the museum and it was like adults only. And they had, you know, Lego, they had jumping castles, just all these like kiddish things. And when I got to the hula hooping area, I like tried one on and I was like, Oh my God, this is like riding a bicycle. It just like makes sense. And so I took the woman's business card and she did this class called hoopla. And it was like a program where each week you do different moves to to like a song and then at the end of it you have like a full like dance like routine and so I went to it and there were so many like talented people and so much energy but I'm not like I don't enjoy dancing which some people like will argue with me about it but it just (laughs) didn't it didn't gel with me like Mm -hmm. I just felt like I was just like left foot right foot like which one and I didn't really enjoy it and so I didn't continue but I, kn- I know that I enjoyed hula hooping on the spot. And so I'd Google a record and I'd looked at the video of the guy that held the record for like 10 years and he wasn't a very efficient hula hooper. And that's what got me was if somebody can hula hoop for 75 hours in this fashion and I can be this much more efficient with it, then of course I could do 100 hours. <laughs> and so then the mentality to do 100 came from like a whole other bit of uh, I guess you know one of those like inception sort of moments where like an idea comes in and then it like takes totally different shape 10 years later it was a year like probably six months prior to that when I was in Tonga that my friend got me into cycling where we used to just cycle like one hour to get to the beach and then one hour back and then he slowly started teaching me like to keep going to do two hours three hours four hours it's the same activity but there's just things you need to do to keep going. So food, hydration, all that sort of stuff comes into play. And then by the end of the time I was there, we did one whole lap of the island, which was 100 kilometers or like 66 miles, I think it is. It took five hours. And by the end of it, you're like, well, if I can do 100 kilometers, then I could do 100 kilometers today and 100 kilometers tomorrow. And then before you know it, you're doing thousands of kilometers. And it's each individual kilometer is an impossible because you've done it but stacking them it's just the planning and the process to get there so you don't have to do 100 at once you're just doing one at a time and as you go when something bad happens like you blow out a tire you just fix the tire and move on and so it's not impossible if you have the mindset that my destination or where I want to go is here and whatever happens I'll find a way and so you're not afraid of the setback or afraid of not getting there you just know that there's gonna be a way to figure it out, or maybe you're not ready yet, and then you just train and then you you know you'll get it later. And so it's like like that belief in yourself, but it was somebody else showing me and showing me that it was possible. And then that kind of really like made a, a switch in my mind because growing up I was never good at sport. I was like your classic, like Asian kid where you're like, only get A's from your parents. Don't do sport, that's a waste of time.
0: Wow. And so then
1: to do 80 on your life, it's just you just having somebody show you, and so then now that I'm cool hooping, even though I will do it by myself mostly, now I'm like, I need to be that person. Like, that person was Leo who showed me, and I need to be Leo to somebody else, whoever that is. And it doesn't have to be the same topic because you know, cycling and cool hooping have like nothing in common aside from you know circles, and so there's no way of knowing like how much my cool hooping story someone else could see something that they're thinking about and just slowly bring down that wall of doubt or fear or whatever it is that's holding them back.
0: Well, and it sounds like, so you did a ton of cycling actually between that time in Tonga and the hula hooping. What were you doing with that? How far did you go? Where were you? And
1: so the picking up the hula hoop at that museum event, it was five years later that I actually went for the record. So I had a good five years of cycling. (laughs) And so after I'd come back from that tropical island, I was told, when you go back home, you might experience reverse culture shock, where the things that used to be familiar now feel really weird. And they said, don't make any rash decisions in, like, the first, like, three months, because it's just a reflex. Like, you're just panicking or you haven't adjusted yet. I made it to, like, two months <laughs> and then I quit my job. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? I want to go cycling. I want to, like, I went to see, like, the work psychologist or whatever. And I was like, the only time that I, like, she was doing cognitive behavioral therapy where, you know, sort of look at the connection between your thoughts and your feelings and your actions. And so I was sort of describing, like, what I felt going to work, where, like, I wake up and I'm not dreading life. But then I get on my bike and I'm getting all the fresh air and I'm loving it. And then as I approach the gate, like my heart starts racing and then it's just like the the dread sets in (laughs) and I realized like the only time that I'm really like happy and alive is when I'm riding to and from work and I'm like what if I just quit my job and only do that part (laughs) so I was in Canberra at the time which is near Sydney on the east coast of Australia and so the closest country was New Zealand and so it's the first time I've ever traveled solo and I got a one-way ticket there put my bike in a box Got to the other side unpacked it and then when I got to the hostel it was my first day time staying in a hostel even and I called my mom and I was like mom I quit my job (laughs) I'm in New Zealand and I have a one-way flight in Auckland I'll get there in three weeks and we'll go from there she's like why job security Jenny think of the job security (laughs) and then I said to her I don't want job security for a job I don't want And yeah, why would I want you know, to keep it was that? True. What
0: what was your day job?
1: <laughs> so, it was a data uh, intelligence analyst for Department of Defense. Okay, and so it was a government land. job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a big building with 5,000 people in it and everyone looks the same, you know. It's just very, you know, you it's, it's, you just blend in or you try to blend in and there's so much hierarchy, there's so much red tape and there's so much politics. And yeah, it it wasn't, the content was interesting, but the environment like wasn't at all for me. Um, so
0: what happened after your but, three weeks? So it was three weeks in New Zealand.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was 1,100 kilometers or about 700 miles and over 11 days. And so just picking them, you know, a bit at a time, picking places in between, I got to go to Hobbiton, which is really cool, Uh, eat a lot of fish and chips, got to see like, you know, all the random things in New Zealand. And I really, really enjoyed it. And when I came back, like I had to like roll my pants down because like I'd lost weight because even though I was eating so much, I was just cycling so much that you're just constantly burning everything like a nonstop engine. And so when I got back to uh, Australia, it was July and it was winter. And I was like, "Winter's still really sad here, guys. I got to get out. (laughs) And so then I moved all my stuff back to Perth and then I went to Europe for three months. And then I just went again. I just cycled because Europe is in love with the bicycle. Essentially they have this thing called the Eurovelo, which is like 14 different paths that just crisscross all through Europe. And they have like color coding. It's really good for bikes. If it's in between or if it's on the road and all the infrastructure is like amazing. And I met up with my friend, Leo, we sort of, yeah, I did four weeks on my own, then I met him in Istanbul. And then we went and cycled through the Balkans. And he was like my cycling mentor. And I was like, oh, we get to be reunited. And it just, it's one of those things where every single day was just, you know, play as you go. Like play what you want, do what you want. If you want to stop and eat, if you want to eat a bunch of ice cream, like go for it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then just plodding along. And some of the days were brutal because you don't really have options to get from A to B. Like if there's a mountain, you have to go through it. You can go around it, but you can't just teleport to the other side. And so there are days where all you're doing is going up this colossal hill and you're like, how long is this gonna take? I don't know. But you do it anyway because like what else are you gonna do? You have like all of the time available in the day. and if you don't, well, you're gotta deal with that consequence. <laughs> And so I think that just sort of built that mental aspect of wanting to quit, but not doing it. And then doing that enough times that your default becomes not to quit just because you've rationalized it so many times or you've done it in worse conditions. Like, you know, I've, I've been burnt like through a shirt from like the little air holes and it's excruciating. Like sunburn through
0: the air holes in a (laughs) shirt.
1: yeah, yeah. (laughs) And you kind of laugh, you're like, oh, why does my back hurt so much? <laughs> but it's just like part of the journey. And, you know, it, it's it's terrible. But then you get aloe vera, and you're aloe vera on, and then, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> and it's just this idea, I think, of like doing it anyway, because there's a hundred reasons or a thousand reasons why you shouldn't. But you do it anyway because you want it. There's some part of you that's like, what else am I going to do? Like, this is something that... Right now, there's just this you know, singular goal. I can get there however I want. And it's just up to me. I don't have to worry about all the other things in the world at the moment and then just go for it. And I think it just made me feel so alive because you're doing things the way that you want to do them. And it just, yeah, you're not having to worry about as much and you're not doubting yourself constantly because when you're out on the bike, it is just you and your pedal power. And you know, the fuel is whatever you ate the night before. And so it's so simple in a way, but it allows you to sort of stretch what you think you're capable of. And then just to see, because we're very rarely tested in that way, like our instinct is to find ways to be more comfortable and to make things, you know, easier for ourselves.
0: Yeah, I love the difference between easily quitting your job, or I don't know if it was easy, but, you know, feeling like that was a fine thing to do, and then forcing yourself to get through days that you really are not enjoying as much and that you don't want to do just because you know that you're doing something you love. The difference between those two things when people talk about not quitting and keep going and do it even if you don't feel like doing it, the distinction between something you really want to be doing that you power through anyway, and something that's just kind of making your life worse. (laughs) <laughs> or I don't know if that's, that's a, maybe that's a little bit of a strong statement, but something that you're not enjoying doing, you know, you were not getting out of your job, what you were getting out of cycling. And so what you had to put in seemed mm-hmm. so disproportionate to what you were getting out, that then the cycling mm-hmm. sounds like a great idea, even with the hard times and the things you had to mm-hmm. push through.
1: Yeah, I think when things are on your terms, it really does change like your willingness to be able to do things. Because I feel like sometimes in jobs, like it's not even about what you want or what your manager wants. It's always like 10 rungs above them. And so you're doing these things. You don't see the point. You don't see the value of it. And I think over time, it kind of does make you jaded. And I think modern work kind of gets to that point where you're doing things, but you don't see the point or the reason. It's for somebody else, for somebody else to get rich or somebody else. And I think it's just taking the switch where, you know, not everybody can quit their jobs and go cycling, but giving back time to yourself for your hobbies, for intentionally doing things you don't get paid for and giving that more weight than all of the time that you put into work and all that stuff. Because I feel like we spend, what, 40 hours a week working and then X amount of hours doing other things. But the part that like fills your cup up, like your hobbies, it's tricky because it takes energy and it's, easier to just kill time and like watch what's on TV, but filling your own cup and feeling like you're doing something that's just for you in that moment. I feel like it's so valuable, but it's so easily pushed down the list as dead last or like when I get a day off or one day. And I feel like there's probably, you know, loads of people with, you know, instruments in their cupboards that are getting dusty or sports equipment or art kits And I don't know if sometimes it's like the pressure, like if I want to do something and I'm not good at it, or if it looks lame or like, what's the point? But it's like, the point is like your enjoyment. (laughs) Like You don't have to sell a bunch of, you know, a bunch of art to be an artist. You just have to do it. And I feel like it's such like a difficult thing for us to switch into because being unhappy in your work kind of robs you of your time twice, like while you're at work and then outside of work. Because then people talk about, you know, the Sunday scaries when they have to start work again and they're like panicking, you know, Sunday night. And so I think there's got to be a way to sort of like reuse that energy into something else because sometimes we can't quit our jobs. We sort of just have to do them. But then that's not to say that in your own time, you can't make a little like refuge for you and the things that you love and, you know, share that or just, you know, sink into it and take a break from, you know. The other parts of your life that you might not be so thrilled about.
0: How did you get back to the hula hooping after all that? Was that an attempt to... So you were in the US, right, when you did the mm-hmm. record? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So was that kind of needing a break from, from work and from all the usual everyday stuff?
1: I think I wanted the world record for a while, but logistically speaking, it was really difficult to do. And so for Guinness World Records, if you want to pay a judge to come out and, you know, Assess it on the spot and say that you got the record. It's like thousands of dollars, and the alternative is you have to record it and send them videos and have a lot of witnesses. And so for a hundred hours, it's actually really taxing. So you need you know two witnesses at all times, not related to you at all, or friends or colleagues, and that they can only do four hour shifts. And so we're talking about like getting two hundred worth, two hundred hours worth of free labor. And in Australia, I just didn't think that was viable. Like who's going to give me like their free time for like no reason? By like coming to the U.S., it's like, this is the land of opportunity. <laughs> like, you want to do crazy stuff that sounds like out of this world? People are like, I want to see that.
0: <laughs> you're listening to Bad Choice Tuesday, a conversation about friendship, unconditional love, and unconventional choices. For more information, go to badchoicetuesday.com. We're glad you're here. And now... Back to Bad Choice Tuesday.
1: I think that's where I sort of had that mentality where there was a combination of like that opportunity, like logistically speaking. And then the other side of it was going to America, I was completely free from the baggage from my life in Australia. And so I was sort of going through this transformative like process of like. You know, learning how to be myself in front of people, be vulnerable, because I'm—I've been a guarded person for like nearly my entire life. And so moving to the US, like I didn't have to try that hard in terms of like letting the guard down because nobody knew me anyway. And worst case scenario, I could just leave if it didn't work <laughs> out. And so I went into attitude of like, well, if it sucks, I'll leave. Like mm-hmm. I've got nothing to lose, so why bring all this? armor and you know pretend to concoct this version of myself i had nothing to preserve or anything to like maintain in terms of like expectations and so it was a completely clean slate and then i feel like that mental energy of like you know partitioning yourself all the time in different places with different people like flew out the window and it just freed up so much energy to do other things and so i think coming into work being an australian in chicago like you're already but like out there anyway so you get you get over like feeling weird or feeling out of place or not knowing things you kind of just get used to it and then I think going and doing this hula hooping stuff I was like once I said it out loud to one person that was like step one because it's only been in my head up until this point point. Mm-hmm. and so I said to my my housemate I think I want to break the Guinness World Record for hula hooping for 100 hours and he was like cool <laughs> and so that's when like that started and then like you start saying it out loud and then you're like hmm and so then that's not scary you know you sort of have this idea or a dream and it's slowly becoming a reality and then I make a spreadsheet and I'm like this is how I'm gonna do it and then I'm like okay I need to take some time off because yeah train for a lot of this like you know 100 hours and so you know set a list of dates to my boss I was like oh I need these days off because I oh, want to hula hoop and she's like okay we got this <laughs> okay yeah that's fine got it far enough in advance and then over time you start practicing and then you're like sorry I can't go out because I've got to do the school hooping and they're like oh that's cool like in your mind you're like oh people don't think I'm a loser like I'm just cool hooping at home like for no reason and then it's like you're not getting that rejection that you're expecting but all that rejection comes from yourself it's not like other people it's just like you being so afraid that of something that isn't even real like Even if people did reject you, like, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really change the situation. But there's so much of, like, internal fear and judgment or just, like, feeling like you have to justify, like, why would you want to do that? Nobody asked that. They're just like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) And so the judgment was just me, like, you know, the voice of my parents or the voice of society that was, like, dictating that. And so once I got that off my chest, once I started actually doing it, it was just, like, fun because it was back to that cycling thing where it was like difficult, but like, I'm figuring out as I go, like my feet hurt. I'm going to go see a podiatrist, go and see a podiatrist. He's like, Oh, I know some people you should talk to. (laughs) And then that sort of like ripple effect where when you do things alone, you know, it's all well and good. But then when you start to reach out to other people who know other people, it sort of sets off this chain reaction where there are way more people that are interested in the things that you're interested in than not. And you just, you don't know how to find them until you tell somebody. There's no other way. Like they can't just read your mind and be like, I know what you're into. <laughs> and I think so I knew you of-
0: for probably a year before you even, right? <laughs> Did I know you? It was at least a year that I knew you and we're just sitting at a table at this event and I don't even know what I asked. I asked the right <laughs> question, whatever it was, and you were like, oh, I held the Guinness world record for hula hooping for 100 <laughs> hours. I'm like, what? Where did that come from? And yeah, immediately, it's just the, that's so cool. You know, there are a hundred questions yeah. about it. And there you were coming up with the next one you were going to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's one of those things where like, it has nothing to do with your day-to-day life or your job or anything like that. But like, it's way more memorable than that time I finished that project on time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it leaves more scars. How long did it take you to get rid of the friction burns around your waist? Those friction burns. Oh. Like when I look on Instagram at the at the marathon record, I'm like, holy shit, you were like uh-huh. you were burned on your
1: waist <laughs> from a hula hoop. I was kind of bummed out that they that they faded away so quickly. I was like, those are my badges of honor. Who's gonna believe me if I don't have like a gray bar around me? Um, <clears> oh, <throat> but actually did the math. I did the math for that actually. And so if you calculate, what was it? The time that I was hula hooping, so take out the rest um, breaks, times by the revolutions per minute, times by the circumference of where that burn was, it was 217 miles of that's how much the hula hoop went around me. So just like 217 miles of rope burn, just like one at a time.
0: How much break time did you get
1: in that 100 hours? um So it would have been about seven hours. So for every hour of activity, you get a five-minute break. And so four of those hours were sleep, and then the other ones were first aid, using the bathroom, stretching. Like the first time I used the foam roller, it was like a glow stick. Cracking. <laughs> it was kind of gross. And then yeah, first aid was when I had lactic acid build up in my kneecaps. Well, I didn't know that was possible, <laughs> and so I had to resolve that one quite quickly because yeah, the nature of a hundred hours was tricky because i don't only trained up to 50 hours and so everything after that was just well, we'll see because up to 50 hours my skin didn't bleed but 60 hours in it did wow. and so every new chat like 10 hours or a few hours after that so it became a new thing it was like that and then the sleep deprivation got really scary like 72 hours onwards where it's like righty, we're going to be hallucinating we're going to be paranoid we're going to be very very scared of things and then just randomly snap back or oh, you could fall asleep while standing, like I was like swaying in like a really creepy fashion, and so <laughs> people, would be like, "Wake like, up!" And so I'm just clapping my hands. Like, I'm just clapping a <laughs> <all>. lot. <laughs> That's
0: fantastic. So how do you go back to normal life after that? You talked about re-entry after just volunteering in Tonga. How do you spend some period of your life training for something like that, achieve it, and go back to work? <laughs> What did you add into your days after that to make it feel special?
1: And so I think the timing thing was all wacky because I finished it in November 2019. And then I went back to Australia because I had laser eye surgery booked like 12 months in advance. And then the pandemic happened. And so (laughs) that was a very abrupt, like, stop what you're doing right now. Yeah. And so then I think, like, that, like, basically Hulu we just went on ice for, like, you know, a year and a half until I got to probably, no, actually two years until I got to Denver and then, like, restarted it. And so there's a huge amount of, like like, to go for this sort of stuff, you need to be in a good mental space because you're constantly having that sort of battle with yourself. And I think you need a lot of, like, energy and mental space to do that. Because otherwise you're like, this is stupid. (laughs) And then you're like, I've got so many other like worries and stresses and things. And so you obviously still do have worries and stresses, but there's sort of like this like sweet spot when you sort of have your life set up in such a way that you have the energy to put aside for it. And it kind of varies because like sometimes it's really, really easy and it's fun. And then there are times where it's just like awful. And sort of being in a comfortable, I wouldn't say comfortable, but being in a place where you know that you have the capacity to like find the energy to do it. And so during the pandemic, like that was just very, very difficult. Like the idea of like doing your life and then finding space for something like that was just not viable at the time. And so I think, yeah, the pandemic was like a big freezing point for everybody in terms of all of the plans and things that we had going. And so... Yeah, I'm not sure what would have happened if the pandemic didn't happen, if I would have just jumped into more records or what would have happened after that.
0: Well, that 10,000 stairs while hulu hooping <laughs> with, by the way, I was there, no breaks at all <laughs> yeah. up and down the stairs. And I'm watching you and kind of towards the end as you're like listing to one side <laughs> and you still kept going. And I'm like, holy God, oh my God, 10,000 stairs.
1: Not just like uh, step oh. stairs That <laughs> yeah. was some reentry, yeah, for sure. So that was kicked off um, as a joke initially. And so in Chicago, I was going around my housemate, just filming random hula hooping things. And there's a big flight of stairs, um and I ran up them like like rocky with the eye of the tiger theme. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And then I looked at the record and at the time it was like 125 like stairs. I was like, oh, that's kind of lame. (laughs) Um, And then I was like, oh, I just ignored it. Cause I was like, it's like, that one's like a logistical one. You need to find good stairs. And then you need to find stairs where there's not other people trying to use it. Cause it's like, I don't want to be the annoying person where like I'm blocking other people's like path. And so then there just wasn't one that was like near enough to me. And so then I kind of just like put it on ice. And then in Denver, I decided that I wanted to go for it. I think, yeah, I was in Cheeseman Park and there's those steps near the little pavilion. And so I did that for an hour, like an hour one day and I got to like 1600 steps. And I'm like, okay, record, yeah. we've already done it. Like we may as well like properly do it. And so then that's when I started hunting for like good stairs. And so, you know, I went to Red Rocks because that's like the most beautiful stairs that you could think of or the whole scenery. But they are so steep and chunky. Any like steps that are for like mass egress, so like stadiums and all that are just really steep because they're trying to get people out as fast as possible. And so those are terrible because, you know, you want things to be as uniform and as like chill as possible. And so then, yeah, that's where that sort of started, where it's like, I need all the different ingredients to know that I can do this. (laughs) And so LH Gardens, there's this train station near that, empty on the weekends, but too steep. Like there's always these things where you're like, that's not the one, that's not the one. And then Googling it doesn't really work because it's sort of like, no one really talks about stairs in that way. It's just me that's looking for Which these. Which stairs oh, these are, are good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How many of them have at least six feet clearance? <laughs> 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 and so, yeah, it was the Denver Union Station one that I found. And it was just like, oh, these are the ones. <laughs> and so, yeah, every every Sunday for a few months I went up. And it's kind of funny because I do the stairs and then, put my hula hoop back on my bike and then ride home. But I lived in Capitol Hill and I had to ride up a hill every time. And it was just excruciating. Like, is this some sort of joke? Like, I have to live at the top of the hill, obviously, after this, like, enormous workout.
0: Oh, my gosh, I have a new plan. How about a hula hoop triathlon?
1: (laughs) There is an underwater hula hooping record. It's like two and a half minutes. I'm not sure... Yeah, I don't know if it's if you have to hold your breath or if it's because the resistance in water, like water. I said,
0: how would you even stop yeah. that? I don't know how you would even. Okay, that's interesting. Mm, mm. Okay, well, when you decide to tackle that, we'll talk about that again. Mm,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I need a waterproof Underwater. cool hoop, and I don't. there must. You must have to get oxygen because I don't think you can. It's too much effort to hold your breath while doing that. So, um, yeah, I wonder if the
0: person's head is actually underwater or if it's just the uh, hula hoop. Standard. Maybe it's just mm. the hula hoop underwater, weenies. You could totally do it with oxygen. <laughs> you could be the all the way under the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's funny. You had told oh. me that Bad Choice Tuesday, that the idea of Bad Choice Tuesday or how you thought of it, was really helpful to you. What mm-hmm. is that? I feel like everybody uses it a little differently. I tend to look back behind me and there's stuff that I did that I wish I hadn't done. Well, I don't wish I hadn't done. I don't know. Anyway, maybe I feel <laughs> bad about it and I kind of just go, eh, bad choice Tuesday and move on. Or something I'm doing mm-hmm. today that I don't know how it's going to turn out and I just make myself do it anyway and kind of go, well, eh, bad choice Tuesday. Or I look into the future And maybe other people are like you talked about societal pressures feel like that's a little bit of a nutty thing to do. And I go, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm doing it anyway. Bad choice Tuesday. (laughs) And it's my way of saying like, this is my thing that I'm doing. I'm going to live with it. Here I go. So everybody has their own take on it. What is yours? I think
1: I'm a person that often gets caught in my own head where I'm trying to think of like The optimal best way to do something and if it's not perfect or not you know good enough I just freak out I don't do it so I don't post something or I don't say something or I don't do something but then Bad Choice She is like just do it because you can also undo things or change your mind like it's so rare that something is like permanent like you can use lasers to remove a tattoo. Like that's pretty insane. We Uh think of like tattoos being permanent. And so then the idea is to just do something and whatever you get from it, that's just like feedback to do more or to change course. Whereas if you only ever think about it, you only have the possibilities and you miss out on all the other things that could happen, or it gets to the point where it's too late and then the decision gets made by somebody else. And then you just get stuck with the like, ah, I should have done that. And you can, that kind of regret it's hard to you know I guess resolve because it's what could have happened whereas when you've done something that you regret at least you're like okay I can learn from that and I can do something or next time I'll know and so it's just like different types of regret if it does turn bad but more often than not it's either positive or neutral where at the very least it was on your terms and you did something as opposed to just letting whatever around you decide for you and so I think there's definitely like an ownership aspect of it like It's a bad choice, but it's my bad choice.
0: (laughs) And I have set aside a special day specifically to (laughs) use myself. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I need this. And so, if that's the push that I need to just do something, I feel like that's just, yeah, it'd be a bad choice Tuesday or any other day of the week for that matter.
0: (laughs) I super love knowing that the marathon record started on a Tuesday. (laughs) I had no idea. That's perfect. That's perfect. So I love that now you are about to be part of a telethon and you're helping to raise money. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. And so in Western Australia, telethon is the biggest charity event in not just Dudway, but in all of Australia. And so it's on the second last uh, October of every uh, year. And last year, they raised like $71 million in one weekend. And so the money goes to medical research into childhood diseases and all the different services and things that they provide for hospitals and all that. And I think for the longest time, I was always like, oh, that's awesome. Like, of course, i am support like that cause. But then it kind of got a lot more personal because in you know, July last year, my dad was diagnosed with leukemia. And then going through that whole process, he eventually you know, passed in um, July this year. And now that I think about it, I'm really lucky that I've never had to be in that situation where someone's had a serious illness, let alone cancer. But going through it firsthand and seeing the toll it takes on people and everything else and how much it was so helpful for like the nurses and the doctors to be so kind and give you a mental break from that. They just do a lot of things that, lighten your day, whether that's just like, you know, the morning tea cart that comes out, ask if you want coffee, you know, it's just like such a pleasant thing. That's just not somebody jabbing, you know, someone that you love with a thousand needles. And then when you think about like kids going through that, like they don't have the wisdom and the knowledge of a whole lifetime to cope with it. Like my dad has been meditating his entire life, like an, at least an hour a day. Um, and so he had like the mental ability to be able to, you know, process a lot of that stuff. And the children's hospital was just, like, across the road. And I just started to think, like, you know, what's something that I can do that will actually, like, be useful here? And I think, yeah, it goes back to hula hooping where, like, it's just joy out of nowhere. Anyone can do it. And it's just, like, a break from everything else. And so then fundraising for it and doing all of that just made a lot of sense. And I think it's something where, like, it's, like, a shame that he can't be there for the record or what was previously the record. Like, you know, he always donated to charity and it's something that I think that he would be proud of. And I think, you know, it's like really, really tough to go through this stuff, but then also like to share it and to talk about it, because I found like one of the biggest things that helped me was talking to you about it. Because if you had never told me that you'd gone through, you know, your own experiences, I would have felt so alone that like, am I the only one that feels this? Like, it feels awful and I can't explain it. And it's dreadful and it feels like it's forever but knowing that you've gone through it and then that you've been okay and that you're like, like the biggest thing for me was that knowing that you went through it and you're still like an optimistic, really upbeat, happy person. (laughs) Whereas sometimes when bad things happen, it feels like it's just going to like, you know, dampen you and it's going to, you know, harden you to like cope with it. And it's kind of like, it hurts, but then you could move through it. And I think it's just like something that it's easy to share like your victories and when you're winning and you feel on top of the world, but then there's also the whole other aspect of you where sometimes things are just tough and coming from like a Vietnamese like background, like from a very young age, I was sort of, you know, implicitly sort of told that, you know, we celebrate our um, victories publicly, but we take our losses privately. And I think that's just how like my parents were raised and, It's taking me a long time to sort of overcome that. But I think it's one of those things where like you share your losses because they're not actually like bad things in terms of you're not a bad person for it. They're just parts of being human, like being vulnerable and like being scared. And then going through those with other people, it makes you learn things like how to ask for help or how to know when you're getting burnt out or how to notice when someone else is down or what you're meant to like say or do. And sometimes it's, like, not about solving the problem. It's just being there. And there are all those lessons that you can't learn if you do all of those things in private. And so coming out and talking about sad, you know, things, at first I was like, am I just going to bum people out? Am I, like, depressing them with sad things? But I feel like everyone's got something that they have that they don't want to talk about or something that's, you know, really, you know, sensitive for them. And it's just that little bit of hopefully it makes somebody a little bit less afraid or that, you know, just the reassurance that I'm not just some random person saying everything's going to be okay because my life is great. (laughs) It's more like we all go through these things and it's part of, you know, being human and that it's okay to feel terrible. We don't have to, like, you know, smash a smile on and just go out there into the world. We can, you know, take time and feel sad. And it doesn't mean that we're going to be sad forever. I feel
0: like people show up when you need them. And it's amazing yeah, yeah. For me that we met when we did. And we had, it was kind of, you know, <laughs> that end of the pandemic part. And I don't even know if it was kind of <laughs> over or if we were just at events. I'm not sure. Anyway, we, <laughs> that's for another time. <laughs> but I love that we met and that we kept talking. And then this hula hoop stuff came up and it's so... Fit with this idea of just doing things that are unusual and for fun, and I think that's where you know you've found a friend when there's somebody who does stuff that you really admire like that, and they just bring the joy. And then <laughs> when your dad had the same kind of leukemia that my mom had had, that was mm. crazy. There are all these subtypes, and the fact that and they were about the same age also, mm. Mm. and that was really interesting. Yeah. And I I felt really fortunate that we had each other at that time that we mm-hmm. were able to talk about that and say oh i'm you know i'm going through this thing and i went through this thing and this is how i still mm-hmm. add light into my day and i still am happy and optimistic and love life and then you move on forward mm-hmm. from that i think appreciating life a whole lot more and all those fun pieces and now you're going to go and do this telethon and help raise money and bring other people joy through the hula hooping that started mm-hmm. at the museum. How many years ago? <laughs> it's oh, incredible. like eight
1: years now, <laughs> maybe nine.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, thank you for telling me all about this and letting me record it. And I can't wait to talk to you again about whatever it is you're doing next. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much. It's always great to talk to you.
0: Thank you. Love you. Love you too. Cut. Now we can talk about (laughs) the stuff we don't want to record. You've been listening to Bad Choice Tuesday with Andrea Howell, a podcast about friendship, unconditional love, and questionable choices. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to hear our latest episode every Tuesday. For more information and to find previous episodes, go to badchoicetuesday.com. See you next week.